0: Three, two, one, roll the footage! Welcome back, everybody. I'm Simon Severino, your host. And today, with us, is the founder and CEO of the Collective Campus. His mission is to unlock the latent potential of people to create impact in the world and lead more fulfilling lives. He co-founded Children's Entrepreneurship Program, Lemonade Stand, Media Company No Filter, during the lockdown. He is the author of several books, including Wiley Books, Time Reach, Employee to Entrepreneur. He's also a contributor to the Harvard Business Review and hosts the award-winning Future Squared podcast. He previously worked for the likes of Ernst & Young, KPMG, Westpac, and Macquarie Bank, welcome everybody steve Glaveski.
1: simon it's an absolute pleasure to be here and that's probably one of the top five introductions i've ever had in my life so fantastic boom yes boom
0: uh, you know i'm working on my introduction i i have studied the flow of great introductions and there uh-huh. are such and such you're also a big podcaster and there are such and such and i was thinking there is a better flow than others and now I do, as you heard, so for, for listeners who have a podcast, the, the flow is what their accomplishments were, what mm-hmm. they are up to. And then at the very end, you say the name.
1: Fantastic. Because you have to build up that... The suspense. Tension, the suspense. Who is this person? Who is this person yeah. he's talking to has achieved all these things? I can't exactly. wait to find out who he is. Is he talking about Michael Jordan? He's talking about Steve Jobs? No, it's Steve Glavesky. Ah, Oh,
0: (laughs) exactly. That's the dramaturgy. Exactly. Because if you do it the other way around now, you say the name and then you say that nobody's listening anymore. uh, (laughs) So, Steve, you are a rock star, not only in Australia, in the world. I just was on your website. You have the coolest website on the planet. People go. It's, Steve a, it's a Van Halen
1: inspired website. If you notice the background, it's just like Eddie Van Halen's guitar. Because I grew up, man, with hair down to my waist. You call me a rock star? That's because I wanted to be a rock star when I was a teenager. Didn't quite work out, so I became an entrepreneur, which is like the modern day rock star, right? So here we are.
0: Absolutely, man, and uh, yes. Your website rocks. Everybody who has a website should go there, be inspired and and see how a website should look like. It grabs your attention. It wants immediately. I wanted to click something to do something. It's amazing. The atmosphere is great. It feels like you are are at a Metallica concert or Van Halen concert and it's wonderful.
1: It's like you're right in the mosh (laughs) pit.
0: Yes. Yeah. (laughs) And Steve, what are you currently creating?
1: Uh currently well my current focus is my brand new book uh Time Rich there it is for all of you on the Facebook live uh byline is do your best work live your best life so this book actually came out 4 weeks ago uh, it's available worldwide and essentially uh, this book was inspired by an by an article I wrote for Harvard Business Review 2 years ago called the case for the 6-hour workday and That article itself came about because I ran a six-hour workday experiment with my team for two weeks because I found that I, having spent about a decade in the corporate world, I I was anchoring to a lot of old ways of working when I founded my own business. So start work at eight, work through to seven, uh, get home at eight. It's dark. You can't go surfing. You can't see people. It's your entire life consists of just work. And that's part of that was also looking to signal to the team uh, to set a quote unquote good example by staying back late. But if I was honest with myself, I was pretty much done most days by two or 3 p.m. So this six hour workday experiment, it acted as a forcing function. You know, it got the team to focus on high value activities. It forced us to automate and outsource the low value activities. Uh, it forced us to do away with unnecessary meetings, uh, distractions, and be more intentional about cultivating that flow state where we're a lot more productive rather than just switching tasks all day long. And um, at the end of the two weeks, we found we were way more productive and um, also just felt better because we had more time for other things to focus on our mental health, our physical health, our personal relationships, interests outside of work, and then you bring all that energy back into, into work with you. And, um. You know, having seen or having worked with you know over a hundred startups at Collective Campus, having spent almost a decade in the corporate world, having seen how much time people waste on stuff that just doesn't add value, I felt that the need for this book was obvious. And uh, now, during the pandemic, where people are spending more time than ever uh, staring at screens, I think it's it's probably even more uh, necessary now than what it was two years ago when I first wrote it.
0: This is so relevant. We are discussing this all the time here in the show, but also in our team. So what is really important? What can we outsource? What can we delegate? And so I'm curious about your thought process and what did you what did you find out that is not so important or it is important, but it can be outsourced. Was it marketing, sales, fulfillment, admin?
1: It's not necessarily that it's something that you separate based on, say, the value chain, you know, marketing, sales, admin, and so on. I mean, you can... Outsource uh, aspects of everything, you know, marketing, admin, sales, uh, financial uh, reporting, uh, basically customer service, anything and everything. But if you're just starting out, you want to look at those things that are repeatable, that are step by step, process oriented, not very complex, and also low risk. Uh, because that way you're spending a lot of time on these tasks, but you shouldn't be ultimately. Uh, if they're low risk, if they're repeatable, if you can. S- create a, a process document complete with like speech bubbles and, and videos of how to get this thing done and give it to someone else, then you should do that. Especially if your hourly rate, if you consider your hourly rate to be say $100 an hour or more than that, but you can get someone to do a specific task that you're currently doing for $10 an hour without uh, compromising the quality to an unacceptable level, well, then you should do that. Otherwise, every hour you're spending on that task, if you're um, hourly rate is $100, you're actually costing yourself $90 because you're doing something that someone would gladly do for $10 an hour. So you could be working on higher value activities, or you could just be going off and getting a coffee with your friends with that time. Um, because ultimately, we need to be more diligent about how we spend our time. And this is something that the Roman philosopher, King Seneca, uh, argued in his book on the shortness of life, where he said... Um, People are frugal when it comes to guarding their personal property, when it comes to guarding their money, but they're not so when it comes to their time, which is the one thing it is right to be stingy with because time, unlike money, cannot be earned back once you spend it. So it's easy for us to fill our days with back to back meetings and all sorts of work commitments because it's a socially validated activity. It makes us feel important. But really, if we step back, if we're objective about how much of that time is valuable, We'll find that it's usually very rarely is it more than half that time, and uh, we can be spending that time in more effective ways and in more rewarding ways than just sending off more emails late into the night.
0: Absolutely. So last year, I I fired myself out of fulfillment, and now mm-hmm. I am two steps above fulfillment to do exactly that, and uh, and so I had one one higher higher value, higher leverage task that I wanted to create time for. It was writing my first book. And so mm-hmm. that's what I did. And now I'm writing. And now every week uh, my teams hold me, hold me accountable every Friday. They say, okay, Simon, how many, how many chapters did you ship this week? And, um, and so that helps me. So I'm curious, how did you start the process of writing your book? How did you mm-hmm. ship it? Now you are in, in, in the launch and campaign.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, when you talk about writing books, and you mentioned Van Halen earlier, uh, their their singer, David Lee Roth, in an interview, he he was asked about one of their hit songs, Running with the Devil. Uh, they, They asked him, how long did it take you guys to write that song? And he said, well, it took us about 15 minutes, but we spent 10 years playing clubs and refining our craft or honing our craft, which got us into a position where we could write a song in 15 minutes. Now, writing a book, you know, prior to writing *Time Rich*, I had written about 500 blog posts of about a thousand words each. You know, that's like half a million words. I'd published self-published other books, and when you do that, when you've spent so much time uh, digesting and processing your thoughts, capturing them in the written word, when it comes to writing a book about a topic, you find that you can write it relatively quickly. So for me, it was a matter of. Uh, practicing what I preach in the book, which is doing away with distractions, making sure this isn't next to my desk all day long, turning off notifications on my screen, making sure I close all the browser windows, and use an app like, say, BlockSite or Freedom app to block some of the temptation apps like Twitter, for example, and then just commit to writing, say, two thousand words a day. And then if I can maintain that, which I, I tend to do over, say, an entire month that's 60,000 words. Uh, the, the the total length of my book is 70,000 words. So both with my previous book, Employee to Entrepreneur and Time Rich, uh, I got the draft done in about six to eight weeks in between that period. And then it went off to, to the publisher. And then it was just a matter of refining um, and, and copywriting and updating it thereafter. But um, in terms of that, I mean, Because I had a publisher in Wiley, they took care of the distribution and everything else that came thereafter. But one thing I will say there as well is if you are looking to get a publishing deal with a big brand like a Wiley, uh, just having, you know, self-publishing your own book first and then doing whatever you can, doing all the growth hacking to get that book to the top of the Amazon bestseller chart and trying to build some kind of a platform, even if it's 5,000 followers on Twitter and 5,000 people in your mailing list that will set you apart from a lot of say academics out there who want to write books but just don't have the following because publishers want to see that you not only have something important to say but that you have someone to say it to as well
0: absolutely and now you are you are uh, promoting the book how's the promoting part going
1: well this is this is all part of Simon you know just appearing on as many podcasts as possible especially now that uh you know covid-19 we can't travel like we used to previously there's no big conferences to speak at so it is really just appearing on as many podcasts as possible uh f- for me and uh I think this is probably the 60th thereabouts that I've done in the last month so about two podcasts a day on average so that's been good but aside from that it's also a matter of writing articles for various publications um Whether that's Harvard Business Review, uh, whether that's uh, answering questions and being interviewed for various TV, radio, newspaper publications, that's all part of it. Um, And yeah, so far, so far, so good. Uh, I mean, it's probably not the ideal time to actually release a book because retail book sales are actually down 70% because of the pandemic. Uh, Book sales have gone down, whereas streaming services, Netflix subscriptions, Disney Plus subscriptions, prime all that stuff has gone up because people are spending so much more time at home and less time commuting and less time on trains reading books all that sorts of stuff but hey when uh when life throws you a curveball you just have to swing for it and hopefully you do a good job and at least get to first base
0: absolutely what's the first step when somebody wants to become more time rich what's the first step that you that you recommend doing
1: the first step i think is just saying no to more things that that, that's an easy way to get more time back because uh, as human beings, we are innately wired to say yes, because if someone requests something from us, we don't want to turn that person down. We don't want to be disliked. So we say, yes, you know, that's our evolutionary programming forcing us to do that. But some people like to say that if you say yes to everything, you create serendipity in your life, you create space for opportunities. And that may be so to some degree, But when you say yes to just one thing, you're saying no to everything else. So defining what your objectives are, and then when you are evaluating opportunities, is this going to get you closer to your objectives or not? If not, be diligent, say no, because you only have so many hours in a day and you should be applying your time to things that are going to get you closer to your goals rather than placing disproportionate amount of time helping other people. Yes, we should create time to help other people, maybe carve out three hours a week, five hours a week, whatever it is where you do say yes to things, but you want to make sure that you cap the downside and you don't go beyond that to the point where you fill up your whole week with commitments and you're just not spending anywhere near as much time as you should on your own priorities.
0: I want to know how does a day look like, a day in the life of Steve Klaveski, but before I need to thank the sponsors. Hey, if you love what you are hearing, you will love our free masterclasses. Go grab them at strategiesprints.com. One day in the life of Steve Klaveski.
1: <laughs> uh, one day in the life of Steve Klaveski. I tend to wake up nowadays at about 6 a.m. Uh, it used to be 5 a.m., but as you get older, you're like, hmm, I could do with a little bit of extra sleep. So 6 a.m. it is, and then it's basically off to either the gym. Uh, gyms currently aren't open in in, in Melbourne, Australia, so we're uh, working out at home. Work out, get outside for some morning sunlight, 20 minutes, walk around the park, meditate for 10 minutes. Uh, you know, shower up, and then it's basically off to work at that point. But work is very much a case of, you know, I've got a to-do list already prioritized from the previous day. Uh, My day is time blocked, so I know what I'm working on between set periods of the day. Tend to work on average between, say, nine and three. Um, Some days more, some days less. It really depends. And then the rest of the day up until about seven, eight o'clock is allocated to you know fun it's allocated to friendships to family all those good things um, and then eight to ten I tend to wind down these days I'm an old man older than I used to be of course like all of us and uh, by 10 o'clock I'm very much in, in bed because uh, and, and before I'm getting to bed it's a matter of what's that wind down process look like uh, you know not looking at my phone in, in the bed at nine forty five at night or something like that I tend to uh, make sure that the phone is not in the bedroom tend to uh, dim the lights for about an hour before going to bed and and wear blue blocker glasses because that helps us, uh, helps uh, release melatonin, which helps us fall asleep. Whereas if you've got all this light from the house lights, the TV, the phone, the laptop, up until you go to bed, that suppresses the release of melatonin. And sleep is so fundamental to performance. Um, You know, the average person should be getting about eight hours sleep a night um, because, the last 2 hours in an 8 hour sleep cycle are fundamental for emotional regulation and creativity and problem solving so we end up becoming better people less irritable friendlier and we make better decisions when we get that full sleep cycle um, so that is essentially the day the full day but at the same time you know we're throwing in some nootropics in there uh, some lions mane into the coffee in the morning and of course all the vitamins the vitamin d the zinc all that stuff that helps us uh, Be as antiviral, if I can use that word as possible, during this time of COVID 19 as well.
0: Quite timely, yes. And uh, I'm curious who you nominate for the award. So, if you could Uh, only pick one person, (laughs) yes, and uh, who would that be?
1: I would probably nominate, just in the spirit of the times, uh, Jason Freed over at Basecamp. You know, they've built a company that, you know, they're a private company, but estimates suggest that they're making about fifty million dollars a year. Um, they, their, their company is a project management SaaS platform. They've got about fifty employees, uh, most of which work remotely, and they they work nine to five. You know, they aren't beating their chests and you know, posting hashtag hustle on Twitter. They realize that. Once you get to a certain point, the law of diminishing returns kicks in and you might sit at your desk for 12 or 14 hours a day, but you really aren't doing yourself any service nor are you doing your company any service. And they've been um, on the warpath for on this topic for a number of years now. Uh, Jason also wrote a a really good book on the topic of workplace productivity called It Doesn't Have to be Crazy at Work, um, which I suggest everyone checks out. But, you know, in a world of people like Gary Vee just encouraging people to just work, 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 work. It's refreshing to see people like Jason Fried, who has built a very successful tech company, uh, be very vocal about finding that healthy intersection between work and the rest of life.
0: Beautiful. So what's up next in your career, Steve?
1: Uh, next in my career, I'm building out a media platform called uh, No Filter Media. Uh, we founded this during the pandemic, basically by leveraging a lot of the principles I talk about in the book, Time Rich, uh, You know, automation, outsourcing, talent on demand, crowdsourcing, uh, and doing away with waste. And it's essentially a podcast network, but we also have articles on the site. We've signed up six podcasts thus far. Uh, across all sorts of topics and we'll be looking to sign up about 50 to 100 podcasts. So kind of like a record label for podcasts. And that is essentially what we'll be spending a lot of the next six months working on. Um, At the same time, Collective Campus still uh, is going strong. We've just signed a deal with Allen's Linklaters, one of the world's biggest um, law firms, to run a legal tech startup program. Um, And that kicks off, actually kicked off this week. So Uh, that's basically what we're working on right now. And maybe in a year's time, there'll be another book in the works.
0: You, you can do all this in, in six hours per day.
1: Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny you say that because I think it's not a matter of people say, Oh, if you do too many things, you spread yourself thin and you don't do anything well. And I think that's true to a certain degree, but you can do one thing and focus on all the wrong things and just. Spend years on that and not get anywhere. Um, like what Peter Drucker, the famed management thinker, said: "Productivity is what you don't do." Um, and if you look at principles like the Pareto principle, uh, you know tw- the twenty percent of if causes create eighty percent of effects, and you can apply that to your work to hone in on what are those key activities that are going to get us very far, and then everything else that doesn't align with your strengths uh, doesn't create a lot of value. You either kill it. You either outsource it or you automate it. Um, and you'd be surprised how much work you can actually get done with, say, six hours a day if you're really intentional about where you focus.
0: Tell us about your podcast. When when did you start? How What was the journey
1: uh, I started in early 2016. I think it was February, and initially it was there was no real plan to start to be a podcast. Though, in fact, I, at the time I wasn't even listening to podcasts. I thought what we were doing was a webinar, but we published it on, um, on what one of my colleagues published it on the Apple Podcast dashboard, and off it went. And this was before the big boom in podcasts over the last couple of years and somehow or another the podcast made its way to the apple chart uh, the business chart it was like top 20 in australia and i think it was episode six i thought well i'm gonna reach out if, if we're on the charts i'm gonna use this i took a screenshot and then i started reaching out to big names like steve blank for example and he accepted and then i realized wow i can talk to all sorts of people with this podcast and It just went from there. And since then, I've spoken with, you know, you name it, uh, you know, Robert Green, Adam Grant, Kevin Kelly, the list goes on. And it's been such a powerful tool to meet people, learn a lot of things, grow the business and just have a lot of fun. And, you know, obviously now everybody has a podcast, but that's no reason not to start one. I think it's still one of the most valuable, rewarding things you can do with little to no investment as well.
0: And it's funny because since I have a podcast, I have now a network in Australia, in the US, mm-hmm. in all places where I never, where I've never could could have such such a network. What's your experience? How much How much percent are you are you living the week uh, connecting to people locally versus globally?
1: yeah good question i mean the podcast actually i mean recently we did a a big piece of work for a client in tennessee in you know the american midwest and they were big listeners of the podcast they'd been listening to the podcast for two years this was the, the head of um hr there and then he reached out and said hey love the podcast we've got this opportunity would you be keen to work for us and and so i would say if i look at for example my podcast numbers About 60% of the audience is actually in the US, about 10 to 15% UK and Europe, and then about 30, uh, what did I say, 60, yeah, about 25% is in Australia and New Zealand, something to that effect. Um, So I'm talking to people all over the world, and I think that's the mindset that not, you don't need to have, but it's beneficial to have that mindset nowadays, rather than restricting yourself to your local market. You know, it's a global marketplace. You've got an internet connection. Nowadays, everybody's working remotely. Uh, not only can you find customers abroad, but you can find talent abroad. You're no longer limited to your local talent pool. You can have someone in, you know, in Austria, in Brazil, in America, in Canada, in Singapore, working for you. Um, and they don't all need to be online at the same time. That's the beauty of Say asynchronous communication, where we don't expect real-time responses, nor should we. What we should expect is that work gets done to a to a quality that's good enough, um, and that you know, something I really stress in my book is: let's stop conflating hours with output or presence with productivity, and let's focus on outcomes.
0: Absolutely. So, uh, Steve, what is currently on your list of things that you want to find out problems that you want to solve that you're tackling
1: problems that i want to solve that i'm tackling Oof. that's a, a loaded question um i think one of the immediate problems i have in my life to solve is how to how to how to surf a five foot wave <laughs> because as as an Aussie who only took up surfing three years ago, that's something I struggle with. So that's something that I'm working through. I'm solving for that right now. Um, but I suppose more existentially, you know, how do we teach children entrepreneurial thinking? You know, I've built this platform lemonade stand and we've run that through a few thousand. We've had a few thousand kids come through that program, but... In terms of really sustainable learnings that they can take with them into adulthood, you know, I don't think the K to 12 education system really prepares kids for entrepreneurship. Uh, it tends to prepare kids to read something and remember it for just as long as they can spit it out on an exam or a test, and then they forget all about it. it doesn't teach them any real world skills. You know, how do we teach them the power of experimentation? How do we teach them to lean into failure as as a form of learning? Um, how do we teach them to learn lots of different things and then connect the dots and think critically about things that for me, I think is something that, um, I'm slowly working on, but definitely I see others working on in the space and, you know, their the children, it, it sounds cliche, but they are a future. And I don't think that traditional education is really doing the best job of preparing them for the 21st century. It may have worked a hundred years ago, but things have changed so much since then. The job market is changing so much that people need to be more resilient, more adaptable and if you're training someone to do one thing and then suddenly the need for that one thing is gone, then they need to become something else. And unless they're prepared to do that, then you have uh, all sorts of problems. So that's something that I'm, I'm thinking about.
0: We have guests on, on this show who are doing exactly that in the US with mm-hmm. K-12. And so I will, I will connect you, for example, Graham Foreman was here, VC, who's doing exactly this in the ad tech space. And uh, I will connect you after the show. That would be great. Thank you. Now I am super curious. How is your team doing in this funky year? How how do you navigate that that wave?
1: Yeah, look, uh, I think we're doing okay. I mean, we were working remotely previously, maybe three days a week uh, and two days on site. Plus, we also had uh, about twenty five people around the world that were either you know designers, VAs consultants, facilitators working, uh, helping us out when we needed them too. Um, So for us, it was a relatively seamless transition, but like a lot of companies in the first say two or three months of the pandemic, we found that a lot of jobs that were booked either got postponed or canceled. Um, But then around June, July, things started to come back because I felt that Organizations and people around the world started to normalize what was happening and started to spend money again. Consumer and business confidence started to bounce back a little bit. Um, but look at, at like like anything, you know, you you need to be intentional about how you manage your energy, your emotions during these times, especially if you're in lockdown and you can only see so many people, you can only go to so many places, you only have so much stimulation and distraction in your life. You need to. You know, focus on what you can control. You know, maybe take up some new hobbies at home, maybe exercise, get some sun, go for a run, like do these things that give you a a source of energy. Otherwise, if you're just staring at your screen for 12 hours a day and doing very little else, well, then it's no surprise that after a few weeks of that, you'll feel very, very lousy. And that, you know, left unchecked, that can create the conditions for anxiety and depression and everything else. So, really need to stay on top of these things. And so my team, I think we've always tried to be – I've tried to set that example and a few of my colleagues have that it's a high-performance culture and the high-performance culture requires that you put high-performance fuel into your body, you eat well most of the time, you exercise, you get enough sleep, uh, and if you do all that well, well, then you tend to be more resilient in the face of all sorts of uh, unexpected hurdles.
0: You have a free gift for us, and I'm so pumped about it. But first, let's say thank you to the sponsors.
1: Avoid trying to do thousands of things that doesn't work. We have 274 templates for your business success. Reach your ambitious goals with one-on-one Sprint Coach. We double your revenue in 90 days.
0: What's the gift you have for us?
1: Uh, So the gift I have for your audience is a 30-page guide that I've developed, um, all on automation tools, which we talked about earlier. So these tools cover customer service, marketing, sales, admin, finance, HR, and IT. And many of them cost less than $20 a month, but that $20 will save you countless hours uh, in manual labor. And a lot of these tools you can get set up pretty much on the same day. Um, So people can find that PDF and download it at timerichbook.com forward slash sprint.
0: Timerichbook.com forward slash sprint, everybody. Let's go and grab it. Yeah, sounds delicious. Steve, (laughs) who should be my next guest?
1: Uh, Your next guest should be a gentleman I had the pleasure of meeting in Nebraska in the United States, two years ago when I spoke at his conference, his name is Brian Ardinger. He's the founder of Next. Uh, he's the founder of the Inside Outside Podcast and the Inside Outside Innovation Summit. And he's been working with entrepreneurs uh, for about twenty five years to navigate change and disruption. and um it's it's worth noting that you know we've been talking about the pandemic and navigating this uncertainty. So he's been running this conference. When I spoke there, it was uh, about five hundred people. Uh, at this conference, you know, a lot of tech entrepreneurs and corporate innovation executives from the Midwest in the United States. But because of the pandemic, they couldn't hold the conference this year, but they turned it into a virtual event. And Brian had, I believe, over 1,500 people uh, register for and attend his virtual event, which I think was a fantastic ode to, you know, being adaptable and, and bouncing back in the face of this uncertainty. So I think he's someone that can bring a lot of unique insights to the table and talk about what's happening in America's Midwest because everybody talks about Silicon Valley, but not many people talk about the flyover states in the middle. I um, mean, there's a lot of cool stuff happening there. So I think it would be a great, great person to learn from.
0: Absolutely. Thank you, Steve, for being here. Please come back soon and keep rolling.
1: I'll keep rocking and rolling. Thank you, Simon. It's been a pleasure. <laughs>